This winter, L.L. Bean wants to help you get outfitted for all that's out there with tips and advice for heading outdoors and exploring all the possibilities of the season. Finding time outside can feel tough in winter, but it's just steps away if you turn your backyard into a winter oasis. Add a fire pit to keep you warm, some winter games to keep you active, and some all-weather furniture and outdoor blankets for chilling out comfortably. Just because it's cold out, that doesn't mean you have to be cold. For more fun ideas, easy how-tos, and inspiring stories, visit llbean.com slash guide. One group of animals has been around for nearly 60 million years, includes over 1,400 species, and individuals can consume up to 50% of their body weight in just one night. Any guesses? They also have the slowest reproductive rate of any animal their size and are the only group of their kind capable of true flight. Some also use a complex sonar system called echolocation to locate their prey and navigate their surroundings. If you guessed bats, you guessed right. Bats belong to the order Chiroptura, which in Greek translates to hand wing. They comprise nearly 20% of all classified mammal species, coming only second to rodents. We don't know much about the evolutionary history of bats because their skeletons don't fossilize well but we do know that bats have been around for at least 50 million years. They likely started out terrestrial or confined to the treetops, but over time evolved remarkable life history traits that allowed them to take flight. Fast forward to 32 million years ago, and bats were already pretty similar to the ones that we see today. Now they're found on every continent except for Antarctica. Bats have survived shifting continents, mass extinction events, rapid anthropogenic expansion, and supervolcanic explosions. But can an important North American subset of bats survive the latest threat to their existence? I'm Jason Epperson, and on today's episode of America's National Parks, White Nose Syndrome and the Fight to Save Bats in Our National Parks. The United States is home to more than 50 different bat species. They can be found in trees, attics, barns, cliffs, caves, mine tunnels, and even abandoned nuclear reactors. Three states even have their own appointed state bat, the Mexican free-tailed bat for Texas and Oklahoma, and the Virginia big-eared bat for Virginia. National parks provide safe havens for these unique mammals. There are 50 national parks that have more than 10 different species of bats, and some are the only protected area of habitat for those that are rare or have small ranges. Bats have gotten a bad reputation over the years. Across numerous cultures, they're associated with death, darkness, evil spirits, and trickery. You may have heard some downright scary facts about them that are only partially true. For example, 
Bats were once thought to have a high prevalence of rabies. Less than 1% of them have the disease, but biased testing methods when scientists were first collecting specimens made it seem like this percentage was much, much higher. That being said, bats are responsible for most human deaths caused by rabies. Bats are elusive, so coming into contact with one likely means it's sick. Your best bet is to stay away. Bats also have a reputation for being bloodthirsty, but out of over 1,400 bat species, only one drinks blood. The common vampire bat has fascinated humans for generations and has entered our pop culture sphere through characters like Dracula. This has perpetuated the false narrative that bats not only consume blood, but do so in a violent manner. This simply is not the case. The common vampire bat is found in Mexico, as well as Central and South America. They're primarily interested in getting blood from large mammals, who often don't notice that the 1.2 ounce, 3.5 inch bat has come for dinner. Lastly, bats aren't as blind as we often think. Bats actually have pretty good eyesight, and no species is completely blind. Some can even see better than humans. However, there are some that can only detect low levels of light. Many bats rely on echolocation, a process which helps them navigate complex and poorly lit surroundings. They emit an ultrasonic pulse using a special muscle in their larynx, the voice box. They then compare the outgoing pulse to the returned echoes using a flap of skin in their external ear and respond accordingly. Using it, bats can chase down prey, fly together while constantly maintaining a three inch distance from one another, and avoid objects as thin as a fishing line. While bats are pretty incredible creatures and physiological marvels, they're also important to the ecosystems where they live. Bats are primarily insectivorous, making them great for natural pest control. Not only do they keep populations of flying insects like mosquitoes in check, they also support the agricultural industry by minimizing the damage caused to crops and reducing pesticide use. They're also important pollinators. For some species, like the iconic giant saguaro cactus in Arizona, they are the only pollinators. They aid in seed dispersal as well, helping to support healthy ecosystems and plant diversity. Despite their importance, bat conservation efforts in the United States were largely limited in comparison to other species. That started to change in 2007, when scientists noticed something very peculiar in bat colonies just outside of Albany, New York. Researchers weren't quite sure what they were dealing with. Staring back at them were bat faces covered in what looked like a powdery substance, and at their feet were countless dead bats. Upon closer look, some even had the substance on their wings and ears. This was unusual and something that hadn't been reported in North America before. As word spread of the issue, a recreational caver came forward with a photograph they had taken in nearby Howe's Cave in 2006. In that photo, a bat with the same powdery substance on its face. Now knowing that this deadly mystery powder had been around for at least a year, scientists worked quickly to collect individuals who had succumbed to the disease from 18 different sites. Investigation revealed the powdery substance to be a fungus. Across all four bat species represented, the hyphae or body of the fungus had replaced their hair follicles, sebaceous glands, and sweat glands, 
eventually invading surrounding tissue. They named the condition White Nose Syndrome by its obvious appearance on the muzzles of bats who were infected. Scientists discovered that the fungus spread through contact, which explained why so many bats were suffering from the disease. They could pick up the fungus from the cave itself or from a bat of the same species that was already exposed. Given that one cave can have thousands of bats, it increased the severity of the issue. Exposure in just one cave potentially meant the loss of thousands of individuals, and in some cases, an entire species. Genetic and morphological analysis in 2008 suggested that the fungus was a member of the genus Geomyces, a group of fungi that prefer colder temperatures and are known to colonize the skin of animals. In 2009, scientists classified the fungus as a unique species that hadn't been previously described. They gave it the Latin species name Destructens due to its destructive nature. By that point, white nose syndrome had already been confirmed in eight additional states. Genetic tools provided greater understanding of the relationship of Geomyces destructens to its fungal relatives. Analysis in 2013 showed that it was actually closely related to the genus Pseudogymnoascus, hence its name was changed to Pseudogymnoascus destructens, or PD for short. White nose syndrome caused by PD was spreading fast and wiping out 60 to 100% of the bats in the caves where it was found. A well-studied colony of bats near Lake George, New York, plummeted from 185,000 individuals to a mere 2,000 over the course of three years. PD is now in 38 states and at least seven Canadian provinces. It's been identified in 11 different species. Within the U.S. National Park System, white-nose syndrome has been confirmed in over half of the 420 units they manage. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick break for a message from our favorite place to search for the best campground for your national park adventures, Campendium. Campendium lists virtually every campground in North America and every type of campsite you can imagine. From remote backcountry tent sites to RV parks with water slides and pickleball courts, you can search by price, including free or by cell service, elevation, whether pets are allowed. Dozens of different search filters will bring you detailed user reviews so you can find the best campsite for your trip. Campendium is free at campendium.com or on the app, and you can upgrade to a RoadPass Pro membership to unlock an ad-free experience with more detailed cell service reports, public land map overlays, trail maps, and more. A RoadPass Pro membership also includes other premium apps like Togo RV and Road Trippers. Visit Campendium.com or download the app today and save $10 off a RoadPass Pro membership with code RVMILES10X. So how did this happen? Why is white nose syndrome so prolific? Where did it come from? And what can we do to combat it? Long story short, no one knows where PD came from. Researchers are unsure if it's always been around or if it was introduced and subsequently spread. The most recent research suggests that it came from Europe and wasn't in North America until the last couple of decades. Although the now earliest known historical incidence of PD is from a 1918 bat specimen from France, the fungus has likely been around much longer. Interestingly, white nose syndrome doesn't seem to be deadly for bats in Europe and Asia. 
Research has shown a high level of genetic diversity in PD samples taken from Eurasia, suggesting that it's been around for a while. It could be that the bats in these areas have had time to adapt or confer resistance. Bats here in the U.S. that suffer most are those that hibernate in colonies that number in the thousands. Bats hibernating in the winter are usually found in dark, cool, humid environments, the same kind of environment that PD prefers. So it makes sense that bats hibernating in caves would be most susceptible to picking it up and spreading it to other locations as well as to one another. There are a few theories as to why white nose syndrome is so deadly though. A 2014 study points to a multi-stage process that only occurs during the winter. Bats are one of the few groups that truly hibernate. They've evolved the trait as a method of self-preservation during cold months when food is unavailable. Most animals, including bears, don't actually hibernate. They oscillate in and out of a period of inactivity called torpor. Torpor is voluntary and typically doesn't last longer than 24 hours. Hibernation, on the other hand, involves an extended state of torpor that leads to complete dormancy of the body that can last for several days. Bats will lose up to half their body weight when hibernating, and their heart rate will drop from 250 beats per minute to just 10. Ideally, they'll only use 2% of the energy they would normally use if they were active. However, if they're exposed to PD, bats become unable to successfully hibernate. They first experience elevated levels of carbon dioxide and potassium in their blood, which doesn't appear to affect them much. Once the fungus starts to destroy their hair follicles, glands, and skin, they're unable to remain in torpor long enough to reach a state of hibernation. Waking up has the benefit of clearing out the carbon dioxide in their blood and balancing their pH, but all this takes up the precious energy and fat reserves they need to make it through the winter. Infected bats will use two times more energy than uninfected bats. They eventually die in large numbers from dehydration and starvation. Some leave their hibernaculum out of desperation to find food, but lack of insects and exposure to cold often results in death. Getting a handle on PD won't be easy, but scientists are working to find a solution. Biological control methods were the initial go-to option. The idea was to identify a compound or bacterium that could be applied to bats to inhibit the growth of PD. One 2014 study showed that a bacterium known to have an antifungal activity inhibited PD growth in bat tissue. However, this experiment was done in a lab with well-controlled environmental variables. Though successful during proof of concept, its application wasn't as effective. A 2019 study was able to overcome this limitation by testing the exposure of a probiotic bacterium on living, free-flying bats. Nine bats were treated with the probiotic, while 29 weren't. Those that were treated were five times more likely to survive post-hibernation than their untreated counterparts. Unfortunately, the amount of biological agent needed, potentially unintended consequences to fragile cave environments, and the need to expose bats to the bioagent when they're already hibernating would make this kind of option difficult to implement. Vaccines are another potential course of action. One study tested the ability of little brown bats to survive exposure to PD after they were given one of four vaccines. 
one of these proved to be promising, with only one out of 10 bats in the study developing white nose syndrome. The advancement of comparative genomics has allowed researchers to better understand PD and its closely related non-pathogenic counterparts, helping to reveal weaknesses in the general makeup of PD that can be exploited. For example, a 2018 study discovered that PD lacks a key enzyme that plays an important role in helping DNA recover from the damage caused by ultraviolet light. So if PD can't handle UV light, is that a potential mechanism to destroy it? There's a lot of work ahead as agencies and organizations build grant programs to support the elimination of white nose syndrome. This includes the National Park Service, which has funded hundreds of related projects across the United States since 2013. Recognizing that fighting white nose syndrome will require an agency-wide approach, national parks have collaborated in collecting data, establishing long-term monitoring projects, educating the public, and providing safety gear for preventing the spread of PD. From Mammoth Cave National Park to Isle Royal, from Mount Rainier to Sagamore Hill National Historic Site, parks with diverse natural resources important for bats are prioritizing conservation measures. There's always the long-standing hope that bats will adapt and evolve resistance to PD. But for now, bats need all the help they can get. That includes help from you. There are several courses of action you can take to assist in bat conservation. First, if you enter a cave for any reason, make sure all your gear is clean and be sure to decontaminate it once you leave. You can decontaminate clothing and gear by submerging it in hot water for five minutes or using standard cleaning products like bleach. There have been widespread cave closures to prevent the spread of PD. If a cave is closed, take it seriously. Even if not closed due to white nose syndrome, hibernating bat colonies can be sensitive. White nose syndrome has already caused the death of millions of bats, so any healthy colonies are a win for bat conservation. You don't want to disturb them. You could also brainstorm. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service ran the White Nose Syndrome Challenge in 2019. Open to the public, they welcomed any ideas to eliminate or weaken PD. Keep an eye out for this campaign in the future. You don't have to be a bat expert to apply, just someone with an idea that could stop PD in its tracks. You can also support bats in your community by putting up a bat box, minimizing the use of pesticides in your yard, and turning off any unnecessary lights that might be distracting. If you find a dead or dying bat, you should leave it alone and contact your local wildlife agency immediately. And of course, you can spread the word. There are many misconceptions about bats, creatures that are an important part of our ecosystem and facing an unprecedented loss in numbers. The more people that know about them, the more opportunities there are to conserve them. You can start by sharing this podcast episode with friends and family or checking out all the educational resources available online. We'll link to some in the show notes for this episode. This episode of America's National Parks was written by Dr. Charlotte Hacker. Kelsey Skomberg is our script editor. Peter Shin is the author of our theme music and our audio editor. And I'm your host, Jason Epperson. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. If you're new here, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes delivered to your feed. 
If you're looking for photos and tips about visiting national parks, check out our America's National Parks Facebook group. And if you're interested in RV travel, we hope you'll also check out our RV Miles podcast and YouTube channel. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. And by Campendium. Find listings and reviews for thousands of campsites for your next national park adventure at Campendium.com. <laughs>